You're listening to the Australian Water Association podcast series. My name is Peter Dredge and joining me is Mark De Jong, Senior Environmental Officer with Southeast Drainage Operations in the South Australian Department for Environment and Water, and Phil Staniford, Principal Civil Engineer and the Manager for KBR's Water and Environment Consulting Business in South Australia and Western Australia. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning, Peter. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Mark and Phil were both involved in the Southeast Flows Restoration Project. Mark was manager for the last two years of the project, and Phil was the project manager and lead civil engineer for the project. During the extreme conditions of the Millennium Drought, flows down the River Murray into the Coorong reached unprecedented low levels, resulting in an ecological collapse of the Coorong South Lagoon. The Southeast Flows Restoration Project was a response to this. Mark, can you give us some context of Firstly, the region we're in, and secondly, what the project was established for. Thank you, Peter. Um, so the southeast region, in, if you look at a map of South Australia and you have Adelaide, look down and slightly to the right to the southeast of Adelaide and travel for about two hours, you, you meet the, the top of the southeast region and it extends towards uh, Mount Gambier in the lower southeast and against the, the western border of Victoria. If we looked at the southeast region 150 years ago, you would have had a, a vision of vast floodplains and wetland areas. The, over 40% of the, the southeast region was inundated to some extent, and, and a lot of that was inundated permanently. With colonisation of the area, the, the governments of the day uh, introduced a, a drainage scheme and the intention of that was to um, relieve the landscape of water and allow for agricultural production. Over the last 150 years, we've developed a network of 2,500 kilometres of drains. Um, and most recently, after World War II, a lot of that discharge was to the ocean. This project had three key objectives. One was to provide water to help manage the salinity of the Coorong South Lagoon. Secondly, to hydrate wetlands that exist en route towards the Coorong South Lagoon, and thirdly, to reduce the discharge of drainage water to the ocean beach at Kingston Southeast. Now, Mark, can you give our audience an understanding of the impacts the Millennium Drought had on the region in light of the much lower flows down the River Murray? The Millennium Drought affected all communities along the River Murray. Um, and the, the impacts on the, the lower lakes in Coorong were dehydration and, and uh, lowering of, of water levels. Um, the, the effect that that had on the Coorong, um, and particularly the Coorong South Lagoon, was a rise in salinity. And if we're trying to keep salinity in the Coorong to be about um, well, less than three times seawater, well, it rose to about six or seven times that of seawater. So what we saw was an ecological collapse in the, in the Coorong South Lagoon. And what flow-on impacts did that have? If we consider um, the, the role of the Coorong as a refuge in times of drought in the Murray-Darling Basin, you know, there were wow. times um, recently uh, during, during drought that over 60% of the water birds that would normally find harbour in the Murray-Darling Basin had to seek refuge in the Coorong and Lower Lakes. And the Coorong South Lagoon provides that, um, that refuge. Um, and if we think in terms of migratory waders, these small birds that fly from the Northern Hemisphere, um, they're looking for an environment like the Coorong South Lagoon for food. Now, the high salinities um, 
uh, had an impact on the food web. So we're seeing less food, we're seeing less macroinvertebrates, less fish, less plants. Um, so that food resource wasn't available for those, those birds to fatten themselves up over summer and then fly their way back to their Arctic breeding grounds. Phil, I might turn to you now. Um, can you give us an understanding of what the Southeast Flows Restoration Project was established to do? So the Southeast Flows Restoration Project was uh, an initiative of the state government um, with federal government funding um, to basically um, look to assist in management of salinity within the Coorong. So addressing some of the challenges that we did see with the millennium drought with increasing salinity levels within the Coorong. We're also looking to enhance the flow to wetlands that are along the route of the Southeast Flows Restoration Project and also looking to reduce drainage in outflow from the um, Blackford Drain in, in the south of the project to Kingston Beach, which is near Kingston Southeast. Phil, the scale of works required seems enormous. Can you give us a sense of how big the project was? The project was significant. Its objective was to transfer up to 600 megalitres per day of water from the southern end of the system up to the northern end. And to do this, that required the construction or enhancement of almost 100 kilometres of drainage channel. 13 kilometres of this alignment was completely new drainage channel, so constructed as a trapezoidal uh, drain cut into the natural earth. And a further 81 kilometres of the alignment was enhancement or upgrade of existing drainage corridor. Along this 94 kilometres of drainage corridor, there were over 120 crossings and structures that were installed. To construct everything within the project, there was around 3.5 million cubic metres of bulk excavation required, which is, which is a significant quantity. So, Phil, give us a little bit more detail around the complexity of, of the design and what was required to satisfy not just uh, environmental needs, but stakeholders. So, of those 120 crossings or structures that I spoke about, um, many of them had different functions. Some of them were constructed to allow the management of groundwater um, within a particular area, so to actually retain water within the floodway. Others were constructed to allow the crossing of fauna from one side of the drainage corridor to the other, because you can imagine that this is a long linear blockage for the migration of fauna from east to west. Some of the other structures also had um, multi-function purposes, so to allow water either to continue down the floodway or to actually elevate water within the floodway and allow diversion out of that floodway into a wetland en route. We also had the important function of maintaining drainage within the agricultural land uh, that the landholders um, rely upon along the drainage corridor. So to achieve this, there are a number of swale drains that were cut and discharge points that allowed discharge of accumulated water into the floodway. So it was actually very complex, a number of different demands and, and requirements within the, the various structures that were designed to ensure that we provided the landholders with the drainage service, provided the um, objective around transfer of the certain quantity of water and the, the ability to irrigate wetlands as well as allow fauna to cross the drainage corridor at defined locations. Mark, I'm assuming there was a lot of very interested stakeholders 
Can you give me an idea of the list of stakeholders involved and, and the degree of collaboration that was sought? Very early on in the project, it was recognised that um, there's, there would be an imposition on local landholders um, in particular. They're going about their daily business um, and, and we walk in with an initiative to not only you know, acquire land from them, but also you know, impede their, their property operations by constructing a drain across their property. So we invested a lot of time, firstly, in local landholders. Secondly, um, we had to invest effort around broader stakeholder engagement as well. Um, you know, water is a, is a, a very emotional topic um, throughout the nation, and it's, it's no less in the southeast. Um, so we had to garner some form of social licence to undertake these works. So that involved um, traditional owner groups, um, conservation groups, uh, non-government organisations. Um, local councils were important, but also the organisation that um, I work for is called the South Eastern Water Conservation and Drainage Board. So they're the managers of the drainage network. And, and that engagement process... Um, was was very deliberate. Um, we intended to be very honest and transparent. Um, lots of meetings individually with landholders, uh, lots of group meetings. Not only was the, the consultation um, directed to landholders and stakeholder groups, we actually involved them in the in the governance of the project. So they contributed to to the design of the project and uh, one of the, the, the biggest outcomes of the, of the, the, the design, a, a, an idea from the community changed the design from a channel-only option to a hybrid design, which not only resulted in the construction of the channel that Phil has described, but also the restoration of um, large areas of wetland that haven't seen water in decades. It was the, the community consultation that was a, a, ultimately a great success of the project. And Mark, the traditional owners of the lands were also involved in uh, collaboration as well? Absolutely. So um, traditional owner representation was on a, a design and environment advisory group. Again, that group which helped uh, assist with the, with the design. Um, Phil was part of that, that group as well. Um, and, and they were involved in other steps of the project as, as well, not least um, providing you know, cultural heritage advice and uh, monitoring during construction. From my perspective, I thought the, the stakeholder consultation was actually excellent. It was refreshing to see the way a client proactively engaged with so many stakeholders within the community. And I think it was really the, the culmination of a, a whole lot of discussions and, and thought processes as we stepped through the, the various stages of the design that actually derived the ultimate solution, as Mark was describing. Uh, it changed the course of what we initially set out to design, and that's really one of the, the key innovations within this project. Mark, how have you measured the success of the, the project? Have you got any metrics that you can share? So the project was completed in May 2019, and the 2019 winter uh, was, was a little bit too dry for us to really test out the infrastructure. So we're still looking forward to collecting that information. And in the spirit of the consultation with the with the landholders, with uh, you know that conversation in mind, what what we've said to the landholders is we we won't know how this thing is going to react um, under a variety of different flows. You know, it'll take us five years to learn. And by the way, we need you to help us to to understand how this thing works. So 
we maintain contact with the landowners to help give us that information as well. And we'll, we'll learn from that over time. Um, equally, the new structures which deliver water to wetlands, which include overpasses that keep uh, you know, fresher surface water separate from saltier drain water. Um, you know, we'll learn how those structures function in the next few years. So looking forward to a, a wetter winter to, to test the, um, the infrastructure out and certainly a wetter winter to um, supply water to our Omarit wetlands. Phil, what's your main takeout from, from this project? Obviously, it's, it appears to be a great success. Um, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the way that the project team members collaborated to come up with innovative design solutions. Um, the project team kept um, negotiations and discussions happening with stakeholders and landholders right across the alignment. Um, and that really derived some of the, the successful outcomes of the project. So there's some large engineering works that are part of the overall project, which are pleasing from an engineering perspective. But I think it's really the way the project team collaborated together to derive the final solution. And Mark, what about you? What are you most proud of? Yeah, I'll echo Phil's sentiments there and, and include the, um, the construction contractors too, who not only uh, produced a very high quality works, um, they're also very easy to work with and that collaborative nature of the project shone through. Um, beyond that though, there are a couple other features and it really only dawned on us after the, the project was completed, you know, what we had done on a regional scale. This is the first time in 150 years that we've restored flows along a natural flow path by reversing 150 years of drainage practice. You know, for 150 years, water had been diverted out to the ocean. From a, a, a regional scale, when we're grasping with climate change and the need to improve our water management, that is something to really hang our hats on. And also the restoration of 4,100 hectares of, of the Tilly Swamp watercourse. What that did was increase the wetland estate in the upper southeast by 10%. So now we've got 40,000 hectares of wetland connected to our drainage network that we can deliver environmental flows to achieve some environmental outcomes. And, you know, from a senior environmental officer perspective, that is just a, a something to be tremendously proud of. I've been speaking with Mark DeJong, Senior Environmental Officer with Southeast Drainage Operations in the South Australian Department for Environment and Water, and Phil Staniford, Principal Civil Engineer and the Manager for KBR's Water and Environment Consulting Business in South Australia and Western Australia. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter.